So in Jesus' day, it wouldn't be uncommon for um, a meal like this to take place in somewhat of an open-air environment, either in a courtyard of a house or um, similar to that video, where at least someone from the public could gain access to it. It wasn't uncommon when a dinner party was hosted and a distinguished guest was invited, that other people from the community who weren't necessarily invited for the dinner would, would show up to see the distinguished guest. This is, that was um, fairly common in Jesus' day. And that's what this woman did. Uh, she was known in her community as a sinful woman, the scriptures say, and... Um, Almost certainly, this was, was a way to introduce her as, as a prostitute. And this lady, this prostitute, comes to this Pharisee's house for this dinner party. Just imagine, imagine this, this pretty shocking scene. And she goes behind Jesus, who is reclining. They didn't have chairs for sitting around a, a dining room table like we do. They had little couches, cushions. And you would recline on these cushions while you ate. So Jesus is reclining. This lady sneaks up uh, behind him to where his feet are located. And she starts weeping over his feet. And then she wants to dry his feet. She doesn't have a towel on her. Didn't, didn't bring the little cloth. So what does she do? She, she lets down her hair and she... She dries his feet with her hair. And then she takes out this expensive and very fragrant bottle of perfume and pours it out on his feet and anoints his, his feet. I mean, just imagine the, the, the shocked look on the faces of those gathered around this table. Can you imagine just seeing this unfold at this, this dinner party? It's as if this lady doesn't even care what other people think as she lavishly shows her love for Jesus. So that's, that's the woman. Now let's think about Simon the Pharisee. Uh, what is the degree of his love for Jesus? Love for God, love for others. Well, um, I think we can assume that he doesn't believe Jesus to be God because he thinks this scene is all pretty ludicrous. Um, and he says to himself about Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would know who this woman is who is touching him and that she is a sinner. So he's pretty unimpressed with Jesus. She, he probably was open to the idea, maybe he's a prophet before the dinner party, but as the dinner party rolls on, he's like, no, 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 I was wrong about that. Jesus is no prophet. So not very high in his love for God displayed here. And what about love for others? Well, he pretty much scorns this woman, right? Uh, She's a sinner. Yes, maybe she's showing her appreciation for Jesus, but that doesn't matter to Simon at all because at her core, he sees her as a sinner. And this really shows the darkness in Simon's heart, right? Just this, this darkness, this... This animosity, hatred even, in his heart. I mean, it would be one thing for Simon to say, come on, lady, 
I'm trying to trying to have a respectable dinner party here, and you come in and you know you kind of interrupt and you're crying and all this stuff and you know letting down your hair and that's kind of distracting and you just can't do that. It'd be one thing if he were to say that we would maybe give Simon a little pass on it, but he's just kind of just angry because she has a sinful past. So. How are these two characters doing in loving God, loving others? Well, we give the lady maybe an A, you know, at least as we see her display of love for God. And Simon, he just, I mean, he kind of fails on both accounts, right? A big F, loving God, loving others. And so the question today is, what leads her to show such great love for God, at least God, maybe others? And what leads Simon to show such little love for God and others? In other words, what is the secret to their heart? What's the secret to our heart? What's the secret to your heart? I think this story shows us three things about the secret of your heart. The secret of your heart is knowing these three things. The nature of your sin, the the depth of your sin, and then the third thing, the forgiveness of your sin. And we're going to look through those things. It's going to serve as our outline for the message today, looking at those three things. So let's talk about the first one, the nature of sin. Because I think for a lot of people, sin is something they feel they have a handle on. Like they got it under control. Maybe sinning here or there, but hey, I I got this under, under control. Now think about Simon the Pharisee. Was he aware of sin in his life. And, you know, quite honestly, probably yes. Um, Probably Simon the Pharisee did not think that he was a perfect human being living perfectly and sinlessly because he knew his Old Testament very well. If he was a Pharisee, which he was, he knew his Old Testament very well. And the Old Testament is just loaded with um, scriptures on the dangers of sin and the warnings against sin and all these religious rites for the forgiveness of sin and how it's just clear that everyone has got the sin problem in the Old Testament. So Simon probably is thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner, but, you know, I'm not a sinner like she is. I've got it under control. And if Jesus were a prophet, he would know who the real sinner is in the room. It's not me. It's probably not my other guest. It's this woman right here. See, I'm not really a sinner. She is. So according to Simon, there's two types of sinners. There's the type like him that has things under control. They try real hard. They keep sin maybe to a minimum. And then there's the real sinners like her who apparently don't try really hard at all and who commit some pretty carnal acts. So then Jesus tells this parable, and this is the center of this Luke chapter 7 story, this parable that Jesus tells in verses 41 and 42. Two people owed money, Jesus says. One owed around $5,000 would be the equivalent today. And the other owes around $50,000. And neither of them have the money to pay back the loan or what they owe, the debt. And so the lender forgave both of their debts. Now, which one of the two people will love that money lender more? 
So Jesus tells this parable to Simon. It's the heart of the story. What was Jesus meaning by that parable? Well, I really don't think Jesus is saying, Simon, you know, obviously, both you and I know you're the $5,000 guy. I mean, you don't really have that much to be forgiven. We both know that, Simon. It's all right. I get it. But her life is a real mess, and that's why she's going through all this trouble to show her love for me. Just cut her a little slack, will you, Simon? That's probably not what Jesus is meaning in this parable to Simon. But I don't think Jesus' point either is that Simon's got it all backwards and that he's the $50,000 guy and that she's the $5,000 person. And why do I think that's probably not it either? Well, if you look at verse 47, Jesus says, Her many sins have been forgiven. Her many sins So what's Jesus' point in this parable? Well, that they're both big debt people. They're both $50,000 in the whole can't-pay-the-debt-back people. So there's this truth about sin that Jesus is pointing out. Unless we believe it, we too will deceive ourselves into thinking that we are small-debt people. And this truth is this, that sin is more than breaking the rules. And that's kind of how Simon, I think, is treating sin. It's about breaking the rules, and clearly I've broken many fewer rules than this lady. And what what Jesus is pointing out is this. If you think your sins aren't that great, that shows a real lack of imagination on your part. Jesus said pretty shocking things. Like in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about sin, and he says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. Okay, that's probably a good thing to avoid, right? And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And then Jesus goes on to say, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, will be subject to judgment. Wow. Let me ask you, have you ever been angry with someone? And I'm not talking about kind of righteous anger, but just just angry with someone because, I don't know, they're making your day more difficult than it needs to be. You know, you can't just make a rule out of that. Don't be angry and say, okay, well, I'll just follow that rule, right? You can't... There's, there's a rule, don't be angry. You think anyone's going to be able to follow that rule? I'm just going to grip my teeth and follow that rule? No, no. Why? Because anger is just something that happens in our heart. Because sin is more than just breaking the rule. Sin is a condition. Sin is this disfiguring of who we're meant to be. It's this corruption of my human condition, sin is something that is just in my heart. It's not just breaking the rules. It's not just what you do or don't do. It's, you know, it infects us, our character, our heart, and disfigures it. So I need to know the nature of sin in order to have 
this loving heart, but I, I need to know more than that. I need to know the depth of my sin. I need to know the nature of sin, but then just how deep it really runs. I need to know the depth of my sin as well. You know, there's a moment in Paul's letter to um, the Romans, uh, Romans chapter 7. This is Paul. This is Paul, yeah, 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 Paul who once persecuted Christians back in the day when he wasn't a Christian himself before he knew Christ. But he's writing this letter to the Romans, and he's a leader of the church now. He's done many great things for building up the church, for leading others to Christ. And this is what Paul writes about himself in Romans chapter 7. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And by this death, what he means is sin and sin's effects. Wretched man that I am, Paul is saying of himself. This is Christian Paul, not persecutor Paul, talking right now. Wretched man that I am. And I don't think the typical person today thinks that sin just runs that deep in them where they would say, oh, wretched of a person that I am. You know, people don't mind thinking, yeah, I sin every once in a while, but I got it under control. It's not that bad. And what people will often do is they'll say, you know what I'll do? I'll just double up on my obedience. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, I've kind of been messing up, so I'm going to double up on my obedience, and that will kind of bring me up to this acceptable level. Well, sin is more than breaking the rules, and so there's another truth that goes along with that that we have to know, and it's this. Holiness is more than keeping the rules. One way I can think I can control my sin problem is just amping up my obedience. And the Pharisee might have thought about it in in that way to some degree. If I can keep following enough rules, then, then I don't have to see myself as a sinner like this woman. If I do enough good things, it kind of brings things in a, in a good balance in my life. So that's one thing, one lie that we can believe in order to deceive ourselves about the depths of, of sin. We think that holiness, I can just do some good things to make me holy, and that's not the truth. And here's another thing that we um, have to watch out for. Um, don't use comparison as a sin perception program. As a way to manage how we see sin in our life. See, another way people can control their sin problem is by comparing themselves with someone else that they think is a worse sinner than them. Just like the Pharisee was doing in this passage. And, and, and we can do it in a couple of ways. One, we can, we can pick out a sin that we think is just really vulgar and say, well, at least I'm not doing that. Right? At least I'm not cheating on my spouse. At least I'm not doing that. Or maybe you are cheating on your spouse and you just come up with one even worse. Well, at least I'm not committing... You know, violent crime. See, isn't it true? We can always find someone that's doing something worse than we are and compare ourselves with them and manage how we see the depth of our sin. So that's one way we can just pick out a vulgar act, find someone that's doing it, you're not doing it, and okay, I feel a little better about myself. 
another thing that we can do is uh, find someone who's doing what we're doing, just doing more of it, and saying, well, at least I'm not like that guy. You know, you know, I lose my temper every once in a while. I know I have that problem, kind of blow up at people every once in a while, but at least I'm not like, you know, Tom there at the office, because he's just always losing it. Look at him. I'm not that bad. Or you're driving 80 down the freeway, and someone flies by you going like 90 or 95, and you're like, you maniac, come on. And you feel pretty good about yourself. Look at what a safe, considerate driver I am. I'm not going 95 down the freeway. It's only 80. We can do that with our sin, right? At least I'm not a psychopath. I got it under control. Good job, good job. So have you thought about the depth of your sin? And, and, and listen, by this, I, I don't mean thinking yourself to be a horrible person. Yeah, that's exactly what the Pharisee would have wanted this woman to do. Think of herself as a horrible person and shape up. That's the last thing Jesus would, would, would have wanted this woman to, to think about herself, right? Jesus doesn't want us to think that, want us to think, oh, I'm just a horrible person. Thinking about the depth of your sin means you recognize that there is a debt that you cannot repay. And the debt must be repaid. It's not like just a few dollars, you know, you're out to lunch with a friend, you forget your wallet, and you tell your friend, I'm so sorry, I will pay you back. And she's like, no, 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 it's just a few dollars. It's not like that. The debt is so big, it has to be repaid. That's... Recognizing the depth of your sin, there is a debt that you have accrued and you can never, ever, ever, ever repay it. A debt to God. So in order to have a change heart, you have to know the nature of sin. You have to know the depth of your sin. But in order to have this change heart, a third thing you, you need, and that is you have, you have to know the forgiveness of your sin, Right? When Jesus forgave your sin, he wasn't doing you just a favor. It wasn't like a small favor. You know, today when there's a debt, there, there can be a small favor, like a real debt, like a I owe money debt. There can be a small favor, like, oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take this loan. It's going to be an interest-free loan. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll give you a small favor, and that way you can pay it off over time, but there's no interest. That's a small favor. When Jesus paid your debt, he was not giving you some small favor. He was paying the debt off. <laughs> so you wouldn't have to. And Jesus wasn't just fixing some problem. Like, you know, you have this irritating sin problem in your life, and, you know, Jesus doesn't want you to worry about it. He wants you to be able to get on with your life as normal. And so... I'm just going to fix that by, you know, dying on the cross, fixing your sin problem. He wasn't fixing a problem. He gave his life so that he could save your life. That's not a fix-it guy solution. That is, what is that? 
That's your hero. Have you ever felt like this woman? I don't know if I completely have felt like this woman. And I think that's a problem. Like if I were at this party and Jesus were there and there were other guests, I don't know if I would have embarrassed, been embarrassed by what the woman had done and been like, yeah, what are you thinking? It's like a party we're at. Or if she weren't there and it was just me and Jesus and a few other guests, I don't know if I would have done what she did. And, and I, I think there's a problem there. If you were there at that party, would you have been embarrassed? Or would you have been like, oh my gosh, Jesus. Would you have given that same display of affection? And I don't think we should just say, oh, she must have been kind of a emotional woman, you know. I don't think that's our explanation of the story. She's just kind of, you know, one of the Hallmark movie people, you know, cry really easily and just emotional person. I don't, I don't, that's not the explanation. <laughs> Because Jesus doesn't stop this woman. Jesus doesn't say, that's a little too much. Like, you don't need to kiss my feet. Jesus, is, he doesn't stop her at all. Why? Because her demonstration of her love is completely appropriate. It's completely justifiable. So I was thinking, I don't know if I can put myself... I don't know if I can, if I felt like this woman. You know, what, what, how, how do we get into her frame of mind? And the only thing I could think of, um, it was like, like that, that dream that you have every once in a while where there's just enormous loss in your dream. Have you ever had one of those dreams? Either you, you do some things that you really regret and you're like, oh my gosh, I... I'm going to jail, or something like that, you know? <laughs> That's it. I'm going to prison. Uh, or, or even worse, you know, not being too graphic, but it's like the, you know, the bomb goes off in the house and you realize my kids were in there. You know, one of those just nightmare dreams. But then you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, it was just a dream. You know, it seemed kind of real, but then you wake up and you're like, it was just a dream. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh. And the relief, it's real. It's not like, oh, it's just oh, it's just a dream. You know, you're like, oh my gosh. I thought I had lost it all, but I was saved. That's, that's the closest I can get. But we need to get there somehow. We need to... We need to get to where this, this, what the woman was thinking, that she almost lost it all. But then Jesus comes in and saves the day and is her hero and gives everything to her. Many of you know the, the Mercy Me song, Flawless. 
that great line, than like a hero who takes a stage and we're sitting on the edge of our seat saying, it's, it's too late, it's too late. And then the hero comes in. As Jesus coming in and saving the day. Just when we had everything to lose and we're about to lose it, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm reversing that. Instead of losing everything, you gain everything. Man, that is not the work of a fix-it guy, right? That is the work of your hero. And so the key to this story, I think, is what do the two characters think about Jesus? Who, Who do they think Jesus is? Before the dinner party, Pharisee maybe thinks Jesus is a prophet, maybe a little skeptical. Certainly throughout the dinner party, he is rejecting that idea, not a prophet. And we see how he responded to Jesus. No no common courtesy, no water for his feet, no oil. Kind of a typical gesture for a, a distinguished guest, anointing head with oil. No, none of that. Who does the woman believe that Jesus is? Oh, her savior, her hero. And Jesus tells her, your faith has saved you and your sins are forgiven. And it's not because of the love that she showed that her sins are forgiven. Rather, the love that she showed was a result of her sins being forgiven, right? So I want to borrow a line from the old Anglican pastor, J.C. Ryle, and he wrote, Love is the effect of our forgiveness, not the cause of our forgiveness. You can't earn the forgiveness by just being loving, but rather love just overflows from our life now, now that we are forgiven. So wrapping things up, I just want to ask you, what do you think about the depth of your sin and the completeness of your forgiveness? We all have different personalities. Some of us are more emotional than others, right? But if there isn't just something that happens inwardly when you think about the depth of your sin and the completeness of your forgiveness, you you have to ask yourself, I think, what do I really believe about Jesus? Did Did he fix something in my life so it just doesn't have to bother me, doesn't have to nag me, the sin problem? Or did he step in when... All was lost and save the day and save you from losing everything. And I'll give you one more element to think about, and that is if you are finding yourself just looking down on others or getting really angry with others or even feeling kind of hatred with others, like I just wish that person would be gone from my existence. Or even doing that to strangers, right? I don't even know you, but I just wish you were gone. If, if you're feeling that way, something really important is off somehow, right? Because this woman, in, you know, Simon is that way in this, in this story, not, not the sinful woman. She can't be like that because she knows what she's done and how she's been forgiven by Jesus. 
And when you know the forgiveness of your sin, you can have this inner joy and peace and contentment that just kind of overflows into your relationships. At least it's, it becomes a barrier for just this deep uh, pattern of getting angry and upset with other people. So do you see how awareness of your sin, awareness of your forgiveness, this is the secret to a heart that is loving, that can love God and love others. So as we move into communion, about to have communion together, I want to just give us a moment, a prayer moment, to think deeply about sin, your sin, and confess that sin. I think intentional faith means that we daily are confessing our sins to God and acknowledging just our brokenness and how Jesus saves us by forgiving our sins. So you pray with me. I'm going to give us just a moment to um, be silent before God and, and confess our sins to him and be assured of our forgiveness. And then I'll, I'll pray us out. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for how you uh, interacted with this woman and how you didn't condemn her at all for her past, but you gave her words of assurance that, yes, her sins have been forgiven. Lord, will you hear us now? As we're just like her, we've, we have this debt that we cannot repay. And so we want to come before you and tell you that and just own up to it and confess our sins to you. Will you hear us now as we confess? Oh, Father, we confess that we have sinned you in word and in thought and in deed. And we have sinned, you, sinned against you um, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. And we have sinned against you when we think that our sin is just something we can manage on our own. Maybe one of the things we need to repent from is just our self-righteousness this morning, thinking we can do enough good to make things right. Lord, we, we know we haven't loved you with our whole heart. We know we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves, but Lord, we pray that you would come in and heal our hearts, that you would assure us of our forgiveness this morning. Lord, help the promise, your promise that when we confess our sins to you that, you, that you forgive us of all of our sins. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You make us clean and beautiful and holy in your sight as if we had 
never sinned in the first place. That is the forgiveness that we receive through Jesus Christ. The slate has been wiped clean. And in your eyes, it stays clean. Lord, give us the joy of salvation. Restore that to us this morning so that we can go out and we can be loving and we can point others to your grace and your love so that we can walk in your ways, so that we can be delighted in your will for us and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and so that we can live our lives not for our own glory but for your glory, Lord. Thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.